0: There have been more books written about Jesus. There have been more songs written about Jesus. There's been more songs sung to Jesus. There's been more artwork done about Jesus than any other person who's ever lived. And yet, hear me, it is not what Jesus taught that made him famous. It is what Jesus did.
1: Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. As we'll hear from Pastor Trent today, Jesus Christ is one of the most famous and controversial figures in all of human history. So, who is Jesus? As we listen together, my prayer is that you will have a fuller understanding of who Jesus has revealed himself to be in the pages of the Bible. I'm so glad you've joined us today as we once again open God's word. Here's Pastor Trent.
0: Open your Bible to the book of Romans, find chapter 5, and then if you want to. Uh, put a piece of paper there, flip back to John chapter 1. We've been going through the series called Think, Christianity in High Definition. And the reason for that is because there is so much vague spirituality. We live in this, this culture of vague spirituality. And if you're not careful, you can, you can kind of live with the illusion that you know God. When you really don't, you know a form of God, but it's a God with a little g. And, and so what we've been doing is, is we've been looking at some high definitions of things like the doctrine of revelation. Do you remember what we said about that? The authority of the Bible. God wrote a book, and the authority of the Bible says that I have given the Bible the right to determine how I am to behave and what I am to believe. That's a a doctrine of revelation. God has revealed himself. We don't have to speculate what God is like. He's told us what he's like through the Bible. And then we looked at uh, the doctrine of God and we looked at his attributes and we learned that the thing you think about When you think of God is the most important thing about you. And so you need to know something about God's attributes, His holiness and His love and His wisdom and His goodness. And we looked at those attributes. And then the last time we were together, we looked at the doctrine of man. And we learned that we're all created in God's image and yet we're a broken mirror that doesn't accurately reflect God's image too well to the world. And so this mirror needs to be fixed. And even though I'm a dirty, rotten sinner... I am also made in the image of God, which means I have incredible value, significance, and worth. And so we're looking at some high definitions. And remember, the goal of this series is not to think. Thinking is a means to an end. I need to think, and God wants me to think, so I can know God, so I can love God, so I can obey God, so I can enjoy God. And that's why we need to think. And we learned that if you're not acting right, it's because you're not thinking right. If you're not feeling right, it's because you're not thinking right. So we want to think right about the things that God has talked to us about. So that leads us up to today. Now, today, we are going to talk about the doctrine of Christ. Now, this is quite a challenge for me because if you come to Harvest, you know that everything we do is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. It's always about Jesus, and it's only about Jesus, and yet trying to put everything that we want to say about Jesus into one little message is is tough on a preacher, and it's tough because of the eclectic crowd that you are. Have you noticed who you are? Uh, I'm looking around this room, and some of my best friends in the whole wide world are in this room. And the reason you're my best friend is because I've I've watched you walk with Jesus, and you know Jesus, and you talk to Jesus. And I'm like, man, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus because you've been doing it for so long. And I'm like, these people are incredibly mature. And then there's other people here today. This may be your first time in church. This happens all the time. Some of those people that know Jesus invite their friends. And it's like, you know, come on, I want to introduce you to Jesus. And so this is like a little Jesus orientation session. And so uh, there's a lot to say. Let let me just say this. Jesus Christ is the most hated and loved figure in human history. Have you ever tried to insert Jesus in a conversation and then you realize that you should be ready to either duck or pucker? Um, There's just... There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus, right? I mean, he's a very polarizing figure. And uh, Jesus is the most famous person in human history. Uh, Even though he was born in a dumpy little hick town called Bethlehem, nothing special about that, 2,000 years ago, he was born to a teenage, unwed mother. Incredible. And yet, Jesus is famous. He lived a very simple life until he was about 30 years old, which is when he started his ministry, and that's when he began to teach and preach and and minister and serve the world. Think about it. He never traveled to a major city. He never held political office. He never wrote a book, unless, of course, you consider the Bible the book that he wrote, which we do. He never starred in a show. He never had great athletic accomplishments, ESPN never did a documentary on him. And yet, at the age of 30, he began to change the world. And he left an incredible legacy. We mark time by the life of Jesus Christ. There have been more books written about Jesus. There have been more songs written about Jesus. There's been more songs sung to Jesus. There's been more artwork done about Jesus than any other person who's ever lived. I mean, Jesus has, has had major motion pictures about his life. The Passion of the Christ, the Da Vinci Code, Talladega Nights. I mean, it, he made a guest appearance there. He has appeared on Saturday Night Live, multiple appearances on The Simpsons, South Park, CNN, and the History Channel and the Discovery Channel regularly make documentaries about his life. Carrie Underwood has sung about him. Kanye West has sung about him. Rolling Stone magazine has done articles on him as well as popular mechanics. There have been hot air balloons with his face. Monster trucks and NASCARs sponsored by Jesus Christ. This is a man you cannot ignore. And yet, hear me, it is not what Jesus taught that made him famous. There's lots of teachers, lots of philosophers. It is not what Jesus taught that made him famous. It is what Jesus did. And today we're going to look at the top four things Jesus did. And now you may be circling, and it's like, well, man, he turned water into wine and he walked on water and he healed the sick and he fed 5,000. Um, those don't even make the top 10, okay? We're going to look at the doctrine of Christ through the lens of what he did. Let me give you the summary statement about the doctrine of Christ. It is this. Only the person and the work of Jesus mediates the hostility between God and man. And it was not him walking on water that mediated that hostility. It was not feeding the 5,000 that mediated the hostility that exists between God and man. Now, notice the very first word is so essential to what we believe about Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people that would acknowledge every other word except the first word in that statement. What we believe is the person and the work of Jesus is the only thing God the Father accepts to mediate the hostility that exists between me and God. You say, well, that sounds so exclusive. It is exclusive. But what should shock us in our very pluralistic culture is not that Jesus is the only way to make peace with God. What should shock us is that there is any way for there to be a mediation between God and man because of the hostility that exists. You say, well, what's the hostility there for? We'll we'll talk about that as we unpack it here today. So let's look at these four things. And we'll begin with this thought. Think about the work of his incarnation. And we're talking about the person and the work. So the first statement is about his work, the incarnation. The second statement is about his person. His incarnation means he is my missionary. It was as if I was stranded and lost in the world somewhere, and He came to where I was through His incarnation. Let's see that beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's not talking about the Bible, that's not talking about a sentence, that is talking about a person. Notice it's capitalized, it's a title, and it's a title for Jesus Christ. In the beginning, before you ever existed, before the world ever existed, Jesus existed in the beginning. And the second thing it says is the Word was with God. Hmm. But then the third statement is so important, and the Word was God. That Word, Word with the capital W, is a title for Jesus. You could read it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And not only that, Jesus was God. What we believe is that Jesus Christ was fully God. That statement separates Christians from every other faith system that exists on the planet. A lot of people acknowledge the existence of Jesus or, and the goodness of Jesus and maybe even the teaching of Jesus, but they don't acknowledge that he was God. God. We believe he was fully God, but we also believe he was fully man because look at verse 14 in the same chapter. It says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We are, in our faith, monotheistic, which means we believe there is only one God. And uh, you read those verses like, well, Jesus was with God, but then it says he was God, and so is God one, or is he two? But then what about the Holy Spirit? Is he three? Are we tritheist? Are we polytheist? We just, like, Hindus believe there's just God. Everything is God. Are we pantheist or panentheism? We're... We're all God, or everything around us is God. What is it? We are monotheistic, and yet we believe in the Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but it is a teaching that when we read all of Scripture as we're chasing these Scriptures all through the Bible, and you understand that normally we don't do this. Normally we set up a paragraph of Scripture, we walk down through it, but what we're doing is we're chasing the theme all through Scriptures and asking you to follow along here. But what we believe and what we read about Jesus, God the Son, and his Father, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which he sent, tell us this about the Trinity. Here's what we believe about the Trinity God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. That's what we believe about the Trinity. Did you get all that? God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. You say, that sounds contradictory. It's a mystery. But what we believe is this. Jesus existed before he wrapped a human body around him. But one day, God the Father sent him to earth, and he sent him to be a man. And when he was a man, he lost none of his godhood or deity. He was fully God and he was fully man. And that was important because he was setting the example for us. It should comfort your heart to know that Jesus experienced the same limitations in his body that you experience in your own. It's always amazing for me to think that Jesus had to sleep Have you noticed this about God has worked into the rhythm of humanity that one-third of your life you are unconscious? Have you noticed that? And you can't go for very long without God just kind of, don't need you for the next eight hours, okay? I got this under control. You're going to be unconscious here. While I run the rest of the universe, in case you thought you were indispensable, you're now unconscious. I got things under control. And so here's Jesus. He came into this world, and Jesus needed sleep. Amazing to think that. And it's amazing to think that in his limitations, he was showing me how to deal with my own. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the scripture tells us this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he had those same human limitations that we do. But he says this. But we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are tempted yet without sin. And so as a man, he never sinned. He lived the life that I should have lived. So we have this word incarnation. So where do we get that word? That's a big theological word. Um, You might remember from your biology class. No, anyway, when you were in your biology class, you were introduced to a a, a species of carnivores. Remember those? What what, what made a carnivore distinct? What does a carnivore eat? It eats meat. The word carne, if you go to a Mexican restaurant for lunch today, by the way, I'm available if anybody wants to go, um, (laughs) uh, you will find me ordering something that might have the word carne. I would like some chili con carne, right? What am I saying is? Bring some meat, right? I mean, we got to have some meat for this meal. You know what? we're saying when we say Jesus was incarnated, we're saying this, God became meat. Just like your meat. Just like I'm meat. Flesh. He had skin. He had muscle. He had, he had blood. For the first time in the history of the universe, God had a physical human body. Think about this. He, he was placed into the womb of a woman he created. Don't you think that created a little tension in the home when Mary told him to do something? <laughs> I created you. <laughs> I mean, that would have been what we would have done, right? Like I don't take orders from one of my creations, right? And yet <laughs> Jesus was tempted... I'm sure at times to do that, but yet he never sinned, and he, that was his great, he, he became man, and he became, as it says, my missionary. Why do we think that that's significant? One day, John was listening in on a prayer that Jesus was praying to his father, and in John chapter 17, he recorded that prayer for us, and it says that this is what Jesus was praying. He was asking his father, he was saying, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Who was he talking about? He was talking about his disciples and he was talking about us who would later become his disciples. And so he prayed that God would not take us out of the world. How many of you have ever prayed the opposite of that? Lord, would you just get me out of here? It stinks down here and it's hard down here and my body's falling apart and I don't like, I don't like these people. And it's just, I'd just rather be in heaven. I mean, don't you wish you would just kind of, you know, give your life to Jesus, get baptized and just die. Just right there in the baptistry, you know, and just go to heaven. Never have, but Jesus prayed the opposite. He wants you here. Why does he want you here? He wants you here for the same reason he was here. Notice it says, but that you, Father, would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Important word of. They are not of the world. That means we don't think like them. We're different, we're alien. He says, just as I am not of the world, he was of another world. He was not of this world. He was of another world. And then he says, sanctify, which means set them apart. Set, sanctify them in truth, that your wor- and your word is truth. That's why they need to think about the doctrine of revelation, and that's so important. He says, then he says this, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, Jesus didn't just come into the world. Jesus was sent into the world. There was a purpose for which he was here. He was on a rescue mission from God. Do you see the word as? As Jesus was on the rescue mission, you and I are on the same mission. We are not to be of the world, but we are to be in The world. That means that I am to become an incarnational, missional Christian in the world. You know what that means? That means teenager, when you go into your biology class, you're not just going into the biology class. You are being sent into the biology class. For the same reason Jesus was sent into the world. To do what? To reveal God to shine the light of the gospel, to reveal truth about who God is and how to live in this world. You are here for the same reason that Jesus was here. In the same way that Jesus became a man, we as men are to become or incarnate Jesus to those around us. That's what somebody did for you, maybe your parents or your pastor or somebody, a friend. He's like, man, that person showed me what it was like to walk with Jesus. That's now what you are sent to do in this world. He is my missionary, and I am his missionary. Here's the second thought. Think about the work of his substitution. We're talking about Jesus' greatest hits here. So number two on the chart is his substitution, and we're going to say he is my replacement. And for this, we're going to have to turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and Let's try to summarize some of the doctrines of Christ that we find in the book of Romans. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this, For while we were still weak. Raise your hand if you're weak. You're like, my mind's weak, my body's weak, I'm Just I'm not, I'm not what I should be. Well, this is talking about a spiritual weakness. This is, this is not talking about being mentally dumb. It's not talking about being physically tired or not able to lift a lot of weight in the gym. This is a spiritual weakness and it's a it's a sickness. It's a spiritual sickness he's talking about that makes us weak. He says at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see the little word for F O R? I would venture to say that is the most important word in the New Testament. Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't just say Christ died. If you ask an average person out on the street, tell me a few things about Jesus. Well, He was born in Bethlehem, he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross. Yeah, but do you know why he died on the cross? He died on the cross for something. more specifically, for someone. Who did he die for, according to this verse? All those ungodly people, right? Raise your hand if you're sitting next to an ungodly person. Yeah. Raise your, ha- raise your hand if they're sitting next to an ungodly person, right? It's like right here. Yeah, that's me. Now, th- we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say that way. We wouldn't go out in the world and say, I- I'm an ungodly. What we would say, this is the way we say it. We say, well, I'm not perfect. That's the way we say that. Okay. Well, I'll work with you. So you're saying you are unperfect, I know it's imperfect but just work with me here. Okay? What you're saying is you are unperfect. And we would agree that God is perfect. So what you're saying is you are you're not God. You may act like it, but you're not God. So you're saying you're not perfect. What you're saying is you're not godly. You're not God. You're you're un-God. You're ungodly, that's what you are, and so am I. And any distance between the perfection of God and your performance makes us at war with God. There's great hostility of God toward ungodly people. That, that, that make you nervous? There's a hostility that exists between God and people who try to challenge him and be their own God. That makes you ungodly. And yet, look at what this verse says. It was for those people, it was for these people, that Christ died for. Then he he says, think about this. If your brain is not smoking yet, think about it this way in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. If you've been following the news about the Ebola breakout, you've seen the name Dr. Kent Brantley, who's the American missionary doctor over there that was serving and not just providing medical aid, but spiritual aid to get the gospel to the hard places like Liberia. And in the process, he was infected with Ebola. He's now back in the United States receiving care. And we would say, how heroic is he? that he would risk his life, even potentially give his life for the good people of Liberia. But Jesus did something better than that. He gave his life for people who were at war with him. And rather than kill them and annihilate them, He let them kill him and annihilate him. And in doing so, Jesus died a replacement death. His death replaced my death. He became my substitute. The scripture goes on and says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever thought, I can't come to Christ, I've got to clean myself up first, this verse is for you. You come to Christ while you are still a mess. You come to Christ while you are still ungodly. That's when Christ died for you, when you were still ungodly. And then he says, in that process, since therefore we have now been justified, that are justified, big word, we're going to talk all about what it means to be justified. It says, now have been justified by his blood, a replacement blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath, the hostility of God. You skip down a little bit in verse 10, it says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Notice in this verse, Jesus died a replacement death for ungodly sinners. That's not the best part. Think he also lived a replacement life for ungodly sinners. And what happened the moment you were reconciled or justified is that Jesus absorbed your life so that you could absorb his.
1: So, who is Jesus? Today in part one of Pastor Trent's message on the doctrine of Christ, we learn that Jesus is a missionary to us and a replacement for us. He died in our place so that we could be at peace with God. Have you accepted who Jesus is and what he has done for you? If not, I hope that you'll make that decision today. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and we've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. We'd love to see you at one of our weekend worship services. Join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We're located at 52277 Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. So, once we've accepted Jesus as our missionary and our replacement, what happens next? Well, I hope you'll join us next week to find out in part two of Pastor Trent's message on the doctrine of Christ. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Check us out at harvestgranger.org.